Amen. Will you stand as we begin our worship this Sunday? We're going to start off singing a song about our God who sent his son down from heaven, who became sin, who knew no sin, but that he was our ransom from heaven so we might know his righteousness.
Uh, thanks for letting us dip back a, a while. That song was written a while ago. Um, how's everybody doing this morning? It's May. We can be honest with ourselves. The year's flying by because the weather hasn't changed since February. Uh, why don't we go ahead and welcome uh, the people around us and give them a high five. You can go ahead and have a seat. Great to have you with us here at Hopevale as we worship together as a church family. You know, Adam, you talked about dipping back a little bit for that song, right? Didn't you say something like that? Yeah. yeah. Well, considering it's about Jesus, that's dipping back 2,000 years, and we kind of do that every week anyways, so, <laughs> right? That song is powerful. It talks about the cross. The one who knew no sin became sin for us so that he is our Savior. Just uh, one announcement really quick. We want you, uh, want you to know that in a couple weeks, we have our Get to Know Hope Al class. This is a great front door next step for any of you who've been coming here for a little while and, you know, you've been worshiping, you want to know more about us, and you're asking questions about, you know, what's Hope Al all about? And really the goal for this class is to talk about three things in an hour's time who we are, what we believe, and how you can fit in. And so you can find out more information about our class that is uh, in the bulletin, or you can stop by our Welcome Center to sign up. So we're looking forward to the Get to Know Hope Al class. Uh, we're going to continue in worship. I'm going to ask that the ushers come forward, and we're going to just share, really, our response to the Lord and His work in our lives through this act of giving. So with those kind of hearts of worship, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord of all, Lord of everything, Lord always. This is who you are, God, and for that, we are grateful. God, we're excited to be in this place on this day to worship the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, so often for so many of us, coming to church is like a North Star. It's a reorientation after we get beat up during the week or confused during the week or we lose our way or we question our faith, whatever it is, we come back into this place and we see you new and afresh and we are reminded about what is true, about what is real and that there is a God who loves us more than we could imagine, a great and mighty God who holds all things in his hands and yet cares deeply for every person here. And Lord, thank you that if we question that, if we wonder that, we need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the suffering Savior, the conquering King, the one who was victor over death and who will come again. He is our King. He is our Lord. And thrill our hearts with that. Lord, now as we give, we do it, not because we're trying to work through some religious checklist. We're just doing this out of worship, out of gratitude, and out of love because we worship the one who first loved us. We pray in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the great truths of the Bible is that God created us in his image. And he created
created us with emotion. He created us to serve and to praise Him. And often it's in our daily noise of our lives, it's good to stop and reflect and just want to be pleasing to Him. So we sing a song. This is one also we haven't done for a while. And if you know the song, by all means, feel free to join in. If not, let the words wash over you. As we lift the name of Jesus in this place, we all want to be pleasing. as we continue in worship and lift up the name of
of Jesus in this place.
lost my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet I say
truth that on the third the son of heaven rose again and he trampled death and he walked out of that tomb with victory in his hand thank you Lord amen man you can go ahead and be seated well I love when we can do Uh, what I call Big God songs like that. Songs, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about setting our hearts, our minds on things above where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And a song like that or the song like Melody-led Revelation song just take us to those places. And it is powerful when the people of God worship together like that. So, kind of just on a personal note, you know, the, the weather is kind of getting me down. Gotta admit, but this weekend has been a great weekend, so much so that, you know, it can rain or snow, but I don't care. Big milestone for Kathy and me this weekend, okay? We got another kid off the payroll. I, what I meant to say, no, no, I'm sorry. I, what I meant to say is another one of our precious children graduated from college. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, our daughter Bryn graduated yesterday from Grand Valley, and we were able to, yeah, shout out. We were able to share that with, uh, you know, her brothers, uh, her grandparents, and a wonderful time together, including the ceremony, all um, two hours and 41 minutes of it. (laughs) Not that I was keeping track or anything, so... Uh, love those milestones. I know you have milestones like that in your life as well, and the Bible says that we rejoice with those who rejoice, so great stuff for us. Uh, before I begin uh, with the message, just want to take a moment, talk about what's happening with worship here at Hopefell. As you know, last Sunday was Pastor Matt's final Sunday with us, which means that we are now in a time of transition. And so with that transition, there are a couple different parallel tracks we'll travel down. There's worship in the interim along with then the search for our next worship pastor. So first, for interim worship, just so you know, I mean, it's essentially going to be what it used to be and essentially what it's been today. We're going to have the same volunteer members of the worship and tech teams continuing on in their roles, singing much of the same songs that we're used to, songs of worship, songs of praise. We're also going to have multiple worship leaders along the way, volunteers, and this will go on parallel indefinitely along with our worship search. About that, right now we are putting the finishing touches uh, on the work that we need to do behind the scenes before we launch our search, and when we launch our search, we'll let you know when that happens. We're expecting to kick that off in the next couple weeks. Right now, I just need to tell you that there's no grand master plan out there that's already in place. We're just praying that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to the right person 
at the right time for our church. Those of you who have been at Hopel for a while, you know we've had times of transitions before, and God sees us through those, and we look to him in those times. So as all this is unfolding, we just ask that you join us in prayer. We really want God's direction in this, and along the way, then, we'll keep you up to date with any significant news as it develops. So that's what's going on with worship. Today, we begin a new series, a series that is simply entitled Anger. Anger. Now, somebody came up to me and they said, you know, is there any correlation between beginning a series on anger and, you know, a staff transition? And I said, well, you know, quite frankly, we were originally scheduled for last week, and that would have looked even worse, right? So <laughs> you just, you just got to kind of roll with it, right? But You know, over the next several weeks, we're going to explore the many different facets of this emotion and expression of such a powerful force, a force that we all deal with on a daily basis. And so we're going to look at things like, how can we better understand our anger? How can we deal with our anger in a God-honoring way? And how should we respond to angry people? And we're going to do this through the lens of the Bible, right? God's word to us, that the all-knowing one who has chosen to reveal himself to us through the pages of Scripture is also the one who created us, and the one who knows us even better than we know ourselves. And so who better to give us wisdom and insight on this topic of anger than God himself? Now, as I say all that, you know, before we go anywhere else, I just want to make sure you are clear on what we believe about the Bible here at Hopel. See, when it comes to anger or any other topic, I would say that the Bible is not primarily a self-help book, but it is the most helpful book ever written. See, the self-help movement is based on the premise that you are the center of your own universe and that you are essentially a good person. And so if you've got some problems in your life, they're either somebody else's fault or maybe you just need some tweaking, you know, some minor adjustments and slight improvements like thinking more positively or learning better people skills. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a place for personal growth and knowing how to deal with difficult people, but those aren't the primary reasons why God gave us the Bible. Actually, the Bible shows us that we aren't the center of our own universe. God is. And that our greatest need isn't just minor tweaking, but rather it's major transformation. And that it is through the Bible that we discover what? That we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That we are not just imperfect people. We are helpless people who cannot save themselves. And yet as depressing as that sounds, it's in the same Bible that we learn of God's love for us that is richly on display through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is through our wholehearted faith in Jesus that we are rescued, rescued from our sin, rescued from our selfishness, and that we begin to experience the major transformation we all desperately need through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that God reveals to us through the pages of Scripture. So the Bible is not primarily a self-help book. But it is the most helpful book ever written because it not only exposes our need for a Savior, but it also introduces us to Jesus to be the Savior we need. Now, I say all that because as we begin a series on anger, you need to know that our approach is going to be different than the way a lot of other people talk about anger, okay? I mean, think about it. When you hear people talking about the problem of anger, what's the term you most often hear? Anger management, right? 
That's the way you deal with the problem of anger, anger management. It's so common, it's even been used for the title of a major motion picture in a TV sitcom, anger management. And so whether it's personal counseling, whether it is mandatory workplace education, or it is a slew of personal improvement books, the implication is that the solution to our anger problem is that we need to somehow manage it. We need to control it. We need to direct it. Now, we're going to see later on in the series that there is a place right, for practical steps that we can put into our lives when it comes to the emotion and the expression of our anger. But see, here's the problem with anger management. This kind of approach just deals with the fruits, not the root, right? Anger management deals with the fruit, not the root of the problem. It's like solving the dandelion problem on your front lawn just by plucking off the heads instead of pulling out the entire plant. So it might look better on the surface in the moment, but you really haven't addressed the actual source of the problem. But quite frankly and sadly, that's how a lot of people deal with their anger. They blow a fuse, they feel bad about it, they say they're sorry, they promise not to do it again, they really try hard the next time to keep their cool, they might even implement some of the anger management techniques they've learned along the way, right? And so they string together a few good days or weeks or months or maybe even years, and yet deep down they haven't really addressed anything. And so when their stress increases and when their situations in life worsen, it is only a matter of time, once again, until their anger gets the best of them. And maybe that's happened to you. Either you have personally tried to deal with your own anger that way, or maybe you have been on the receiving end of someone's numerous failed attempts at anger management. And see, this is where a theoretical discussion about anger can become intensely personal. I have no doubt that there is someone in this room right now who is either a perpetrator or a victim of physical abuse resulting from violent anger. You feel terrible because you've hit someone, or maybe you have been hit by someone and you are scared to death. According to the CDC, nearly one in four women And one in seven men ages 18 and older in the United States have been the victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their their lifetime, you know. And as I, I read that, it was absolutely heartbreaking, but it's even more horrifying to know that a church family as wonderful as this one can't be immune to the statistics, right? And so on this issue, let me just say that if there is physical abuse going on in some relationship that you have, there is never a justifiable reason for it. Never. And so if you're on the receiving end of that, ask for help. If you're on the giving end of that, get help. Violent anger is too powerful of a force to just simply try to manage, okay? Now, I realize that physical abuse resulting from violent anger is an extreme example and maybe doesn't apply to most of you here. But my guess is that many of you are dealing with anger challenges of a different kind. I think there are couples here, married and unmarried, who are mad at each other. But you wouldn't know it from the outside looking in, right? See, their anger isn't red hot, but rather it's cool blue, and they have been icing each other out with mean stares, folded arms, cold shoulders, and closed hearts. And then there are others here who have been inwardly seething for years about something or someone, but have never wanted to deal with it. So they've stuffed it down, and yet it comes out in other ways, right? Biting sarcasm, chronic negativity, low 
energy, maybe even clinical depression. That's right, clinical depression. In some cases, not all, but in some cases, the root cause for depression can be traced back to repressed anger, to unaddressed, unresolved anger issues that have festered for years. And sadly, that kind of uh, depression even shows up in Christians, Christians who have wrongly believed that all feelings of anger must be sinful and demonic. That is simply not true. Now, when it comes to anger, I could keep on going. Some of you here might be mad at God. Something happened to your life or maybe the way it turned out, right? Some of you here might be mad at yourself. And then there's the rest of us who might just be ticked off at someone right now, right? We're in the middle of a spat or maybe we're upset over something that's going on around us at work or at home or maybe even in our culture. And whatever it might be, can we just start off the series with some honesty and admit that we all get angry? Can we do that? Now, maybe your anger isn't that kind of, you know, emotional, explosive, expressive kind of anger. That's not your personality. That's not who you are. But don't confuse the expression of your anger with the experience of your anger, right? The fact is, some of the angriest people can also be the most withdrawn. And so even though it might look differently for each of us, we all get angry. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? Where are we going to go? Many of you here are Christians. You love God. You follow Jesus. You really want to do the right thing. So what are you supposed to do when you get angry? That's where I want us to go, both today and all throughout this series. And so to kick things off this morning, I want to lay a foundation for us, okay? Really simple. I'm going to lay a foundation by talking about two essential biblical truths when it comes to anger. Two essential biblical truths that by the time you leave today, I think you're going to be able to recite by memory these two essential biblical truths that you need to understand when it comes to anger. How essential are these two truths? Well, let me just say this, that if you don't have them in place in your life, both up here and in here, then the rest of the series isn't going to make sense to you. It's not going to make sense to you. And not only that, but even more practically speaking, if you don't have a grasp on these two truths, I can pretty much guarantee that you are not going to make any meaningful progress in your life when it comes dealing with your anger. You won't because you're not seeing it correctly from God's point of view. And so I think you picked up that these two essential biblical truths about anger are pretty important, right? And so now that I've got your attention, there's one other thing I want to say before I share them with you, right? Some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. It doesn't fit with your world. Or maybe some of you aren't going to agree with what I'm about to tell you. You won't. Now, I wish this wasn't going to be the case, but I can't make you think or feel or believe in a certain way. I can't. That's up to you. But what I can do is share these with you and then leave them up to you to do with them whatever you like, right? And so that's where we're going to go in our time together today. And so finally, to end the suspense, here we are. Here are those two essential biblical truths about anger that you need to know. First... Not all our anger is bad. Not all of our anger is bad. And second, God's anger is always good. Now, I realize there's a lot to unpack there, and that's what we're going to do today, right? But let me share those with you. Not all of our anger is bad, and God's anger is always good. Like I said before, you might agree or disagree with this. You might like or dislike this. But however you think or feel about this, this is what the Bible teaches about anger, and both of these statements are real. They're true. And so if we indeed believe the words of Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, 
And certainly that's also got to apply to the world of anger. So let's go ahead and talk about these. And I'd actually like to start with the second one first, that God's anger is always good. Like I said before, I know there's a lot packed into statements like these, but this one sentence, I bet you it rubs some of you the wrong way. For starters, there's just the thought that God has anger or that God gets angry. That concept can be a really uncomfortable one for us to think about. You know, it seems in our day and age that many people don't have a problem embracing the idea of God's love, but to think about God's anger, well, that just doesn't line up with the picture we have of what God is supposed to be like. That's why you'll often hear people, right, including well-intended church people say things like, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he's a God of anger, but the God of the New Testament My God, he's a God of love. Sounds nice, makes us feel good, but it simply isn't true. But then if that wasn't enough to go on to say that God doesn't just get angry, but that his anger is always good, well, that one can be equally disturbing. How can something so troubling as anger not just be good, but always good all the time? God's anger is always good. Well, I admit that that's a jarring statement. So let's go ahead and step back for a moment, take a breath, and begin to put some pieces together from a biblical perspective, okay? First, when we think about what God is really like, we go to the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to tell us about the nature of God. So really quick, let's go through some passages and understand what God is really like. 1 John 4, verse 8, verse 9. Whoever does not love does not know God because what God is love. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, we've been singing about that today, into the world that we might live through him. God is love, and then just a few verses later, John echoes this thought. God is love. Whoever lives in love, verse 16, lives in God and God in them. What do these verses tell us about? That God is love, which, by the way, is different than saying just God is loving or that God loves Now, those statements are also true, but here's the point. It's not just that God has loving actions and loving feelings, but that God in his very nature is love. God is love. And then from there, 1 Peter 1, verse 15, verse 16, where Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, he tells us something else about the very nature of God. Peter, writing to Christians, says this, But just as he, God, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, right? Be holy, the words of the Lord, because I, the Lord, am holy. God is love and God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. God is pure. God is flawless. What does it mean for him to be holy? It means that his essence is undistilled goodness with absolutely no trace of selfishness or evil whatsoever. God is love, God is holy. One more, 2 Thessalonians from the New Testament. Verse 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this about God. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. God is absolutely just. His judgments are always right. He is wise. He is thorough. He is impartial. He doesn't miss evidence. He cannot be deceived, and he won't be bribed. And so when you put all these three statements together, you begin to come up with this profile of what God is like, right? Three statements. God is love. God is holy. God is just. 
If we had the time, we could go through the Bible and find a lot of the other God is statements, right? But if you did that, if you scoured the pages of Scripture, there's one statement about God that you're not going to find. And you know what it is? It's this. God is anger. God is anger. Go ahead, search the Scripture, start in Genesis, go all the way to Revelation. You're not going to find it. It's not in there. And that's important for you to understand because while there are plenty of passages that tell us that God gets angry, there's nothing to even suggest that God's fundamental disposition is one of anger. If anything, there are multiple passages in the Bible that say that the Lord is slow to anger. And you see this in books like Exodus, Numbers, Nehemiah, Psalm, Joel, Jonah, Nahum, meaning that even in those times when God has every right to get angry at someone or something or some situation, anger is not his first move. It's not. Now, here's the reason why I'm camping so long on this one, right? Is that I've run into people who truly believe, deep down inside, that God is essentially and primarily angry, and that even more specifically, he's angry with them all the time, that God is a God who is easily ticked off, he holds grudges, he's always looking to make our lives miserable. And a lot of these people, by the way, come from very religious backgrounds. Maybe that is your case, where you just grew up terrified of God because you really thought he was angry all the time and angry at you. Listen, you need to know, that's not the God of the Bible. And this not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible says that God does get angry, but that's far different than saying anger in itself is the core of his makeup. That kind of belief is rooted in you. You know, God wants to change that. And the way he changes that is through truth. And the way we find truth is to go to Scripture. And so we need a reorientation, right? To let the, the truth of God's Word change our hearts, change our minds. And so we have the opportunity to get a true and right and biblical vision of God. To spend time with passages like that. And there's many we could look at. I'll just give you this one. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Is anger in there? Yeah. It's a small part of the greater picture of a God of compassion, a God of grace, a God abounding in love. See, that's who God is, and that's who God wants to be for you. He does. Now, all this might feel like a detour from my original statement, but I want to make sure you understand this, okay? We start with God. So with all that in place, let's go back to what I said earlier. God's anger is always good. Now follow me on this because here's what I really want you to understand. Let's take a look. Because God is love and holy and just, he is able to be angry at the right things in the right way, at the right time, for the right reason, and in the right proportions. God's anger He's able to be angry at the right things in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons, in the right proportions. See, I think if we, you know, as people, had the all-knowing wisdom of God, if we had the all-seeing perspective of God, if we had the all-perfect character of God, then every time we see him get angry as we're you know, reading the Bible, it would make complete sense to us. We'd never ask, what's up with that, God? Why are you getting so upset? No, we'd say, God, if I were in your shoes, I would respond the exact same way. This is the goodness of God's anger. And yet here's the reality. We're not God. 
And we don't have his all-knowing wisdom and all-seeing perspective and all-perfect character. So we're not always going to get it, right? When we see passages in the Bible that speak about him getting angry, passages that talk about his righteous wrath, which at times can be very terrifying. But we don't have all that. But instead of you know, writing that off, instead of pretending those passages aren't in there, Maybe we just need to have some faith. Maybe we just need to have some humility to admit that we're not God and to give God the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because God is holy. God is loving. God is just. And so he is able to be angry at the right things in the right way at the right time for the right reason in the right proportions. He is. That's why I can make a statement. That's why the Bible teaches that God's anger is always good. Well, I've just been focusing on God up to this point, so let's broaden the circle a little bit. Let's also bring in both the world we live in and the people who inhabit it. The world we live in and the people who inhabit it, which, by the way, includes us. And when we do that, you begin to see some contrasts emerge. Because while God is love and holy and just, our world and us are not those things, at least not 100% all the time, right? And so you take something like love. I think we'd all agree we're capable of love, but, you know, we're also capable of things like hatred and indifference and envy and jealousy and bitterness and resentment and arrogance and self-pity. A lot of different actions that get in the way of love. You know, the same thing can be said about justice. So sure, there are courts and judges and nations and people that act justly toward one another, but not always. Because we know that there are also, what, There's injustice and discrimination and favoritism and oppression and wrongdoing. And when we see it, when we're on the receiving end of that, it's upsetting. And it should be. See, the Bible makes it clear that you and I, we live in a fallen world, a fallen world. Now, we use that expression a lot around here at Hopeville to describe the way things are. So I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. When we say that we live in a fallen world, we are admitting that both all of creation and specifically mankind were originally created by God as good, but that this original goodness has been deeply marred by the entrance of sin into the world through the disobedience of our original ancestors, Adam and Eve. And that sin has carried on through the generations. And when I mention sin, I am talking about self-exalting, God-dishonoring, chaos-producing actions and attitudes that result in ugliness and pain and evil that we experience in our world. Sin is serious business. And because of sin, God gets angry. He gets upset when self-centeredness destroys families, when the rich exploit the poor, when guilty criminals are pardoned and innocent victims suffer. Sin bothers God, and rightfully so. See, because God is love and God is holy and God is just, and because this is a fallen world cursed by sin where people's lives are devastated by the selfishness of others or their own selfishness, because of all this, God cannot stand by and pretend like nothing's going on. And so as disturbing as it might be to you to think about God getting angry, deep down inside, you really don't want the alternative. You don't. You don't want a passive God a weak God, an indifferent God, a God who looks the other way when sin and selfishness run rampant. You don't know. You want a God who's going to stand up and do the right thing. See, the truth is, it's out of this very motivation that God sent his son Jesus into our world. See, it wasn't just out of his love for us, but it was also out of his hatred for sin and his desire to make right in this world and in us what sin has made wrong. 
That is why I can confidently say about our God who is love and holy and just, that he's able to be angry at the right things in the right way at the right time for the right reasons and the right proportions. Now, if all this indeed is true, right, then we got questions. And we might wonder why God still allows sin and evil to wreak havoc in our day and age. This is where faith and hope come in, because our faith and hope tell us that God and the work that he started when he sent Jesus into our world the first time is the same work he will bring to completion when Jesus comes back to this world a second time. And when Jesus comes again, sin will be defeated forever. Justice will be satisfied. His kingdom will be established, and God's righteous anger will finally come to an end. This is what we as believers in Jesus Christ hold on to as we live between these two comings. And so there are these two essential biblical truths you need to know about anger. And one of them says that God's anger is always good. Why? Because he is love and holy and just. His anger is always good. Which then leads me to this other truth, and I'm going to close with this one. That not all of our anger is bad. Not all of our anger is bad. Not all of your anger is bad. You know, the Bible says that you and I are rather complicated creatures, that on the one hand, we are infected with the same sin and selfishness that plagued Adam and Eve, and that even if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we are these new creations in him, we still do unloving and selfish things that hurt and anger others, right? We do. And when we're in tune enough with God, we ache over this lingering self-centeredness within us. And so for the believer and unbeliever alike, this is just part of who you are. But it's not the entirety of who you are, because on the other hand, the Bible also says that we're created in the image of God. We bear God's likeness, and so while sin has defaced this image in us, it hasn't erased it. There are still echoes of God's love, of God's holiness, and God's justice in us, which means that we too sometimes, we too are able sometimes to get angry at the right things or in the right way or at the right time or for the right reasons or in the right proportions. We can. We do. Now, of course, the magic word here is sometimes because we don't possess God's perfection, right? No, as Christians, we're still works in progress, and so our anger isn't 100% right and completely justified in every single instance, but at the same token, it doesn't mean that our anger is 100% wrong and out of line all the time, right? There's a Bible passage we're going to explore much deeper later on in this series, but I just want you to see this part for now. Ephesians 4, verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes this, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Which seems to imply what? It seems to imply that it is possible for you to be in that state of anger while not necessarily sinning. While not necessarily being disobedient. While necessarily rebelling against God or hurting others. In your anger, do not sin. That sometimes you and I really can get angry at the right things for the right reasons. And so it's with that thought I want to begin to wind down. See, in the upcoming weeks, I am going to be very blunt with you about the wrong side of our anger, right? There is a wrong side to our anger. Anger that is uh, sinful. Anger that is selfish, right? Anger that is destructive, both with other people, but also ourselves. So we'll get to that part. Don't worry about that, right? But today, as we're laying this foundation, this foundation of these two essential 
biblical truths. I want to make sure that you don't write all this off completely, paint anger with a broad brush that says all anger is bad all the time, right? All of my anger is always bad all the time. Think about it. If that really is the case, then Jesus blew it big time. Because we read in the Gospels, and they clearly spell out occasions where we see Jesus' righteous anger on display. And so while you and I aren't Jesus, still doesn't mean that, you know, all our anger is necessarily bad. See, my fear is this. My fear is that some of you along the way have learned that good people, good Christians, good husbands, good wives, good parents, good children, right, are never supposed to get angry. That any feeling of anger in you whatsoever must automatically mean you're disobedient to God. And so for years, when you start to get upset, you immediately beat yourself up because that's not what a good person does, right? But here's the thing. To deny the existence of anger in you is also to deny the image of God in you. That sense of justice that he has hardwired into your heart. It's part of you. To ignore the reality of inequity and unfairness in this world about how upsetting that can be when we're on the receiving end of that or when we see someone else that we care about suffer the hands of cruel and oppressive and unjust people. Again, I'm not saying we all get a free pass to justify our anger, right? But what I am saying is this, that it's worthwhile to explore what triggers our anger rather than immediately pretending it's just not there, right? Denial is never a healthy or productive solution. And so if you want to get a better handle on your anger, then strangely enough, you also need to face it head on. And as you do, to realize that it may or may not necessarily be wrong. And then by the grace of God, you go from there. And that's what we're going to do in the weeks to come. We're going to dive deeper into understanding our own anger about how we can handle it in a God-honoring way. But for now... Let me leave you with these two essential biblical foundations when it comes to our anger. Not all our anger is bad, and God's anger is always good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, even as those words leave my lips, I realize, we realize, that that's the story of the cross. That the story of the cross is not just about the love of God, it's also about the justice of God, it's also about the mercy of God, it's also about the righteous anger of God toward sin, that somehow in the amazing love of Jesus Christ, the one who is innocent was willing to take our guilt for us. This may be hard to say, Lord, but we're glad. We're glad that you get angry at the right things, the right time and the right way and the right proportions for the right reasons and all that, right? To deny that is to deny your greatness, to deny your goodness. So we may not understand everything. We may um, be confused about your ways. We may get impatient with your timing. But we worship you. Lord, I pray that you would embed these foundations deep in our hearts. They're not everything, We need to know about anger, but it's a great place to start. And God, my prayer is just for some here 
who need to be liberated from lies. Lies that on the one hand completely justify their anger and lies that on the other hand um, just, you know, where people beat themselves up for any tinge of an angry feeling and condemn themselves for being wrong. God, thank you that you have placed these echoes in our hearts, echoes of love and justice. Because God, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, your heart is to continue to grow us and make us more and more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So bring to completion the work that you have started in us. And Lord, above all else, we worship you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. our God, and he is worthy of all of our worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Next week, we'll continue on in our anger series by taking a look at in the mirror and understanding a little bit more about our anger. But as you go from here, may you give praise to the Lord our God always and forever. God bless you.